0: As hypothyroid chef, one of the points you'll often hear me make is that food is an essential piece of the healing puzzle, but it is not the only piece. Things like sleep, your support system, targeted supplements, and yes, mindset, all matter. Mindset is especially important, and it's the topic of our conversation today, I think of mindset as the gatekeeper to your healing journey. If you're in a stuck mindset, it's difficult to even begin to heal and start feeling better. Also, your diet isn't just the food you eat. It's the information and entertainment you consume. It's the people you surround yourself with. It's the thoughts you think and the habits and practices you use to navigate fears, worries, stresses, and negative thought patterns, all of which are a universal part of the human experience. A healing diet and lifestyle without a healing mindset doesn't address the whole picture, and that's why I'm so happy and excited to explore this topic with a very special guest, Eileen Laird of Phoenix Helix and the Phoenix Helix podcast. Eileen's new book, Healing Mindset, gives us practical ways to cultivate a healing mindset, even for those who think mind-body medicine is a little bit woo-woo as well as highlighting some of the powerful and emerging science around the power of mindset, mindfulness techniques, and mind-body medicine. If you're ready to harness the life-changing power of the mind-body connection, or simply deepen your practice with some healing mindset techniques, today's episode is for you, so stick around. Hello, Thyroid. Welcome back to another episode of Thyroid Healthy Bites, a weekly podcast dedicated to helping you live well and eat well so you can feel well. I'm Ginny Mahar, your host and the face behind the apron at hypothyroidchef.com. All right. Welcome, Eileen. I'm so excited to be here with you today.
1: I'm excited too. I loved that introduction. That was such a great overview of the whole <laughs> sphere of a healing mindset and all the different ways people can think about it.
0: Well, I kind of wanted to frame it in terms of like the big picture, because it really is a big picture, as you know, as an autoimmune patient, it's, I always say, it's not one thing, it's all the things, right? Um, and this aspect is such an, uh, I think, Often overlooked or neglected aspect of the healing journey, but also one of the most critical, one of the most powerful, and um, just something that really helps anyone, you know, on any journey through life. So, really excited to dive into this topic with you today. For anyone who uh, hasn't met Eileen yet or isn't familiar with her work, Eileen Laird is a writer, podcast host, and autoimmune warrior. Living a Vital Life with Rheumatoid Arthritis. She is the author of multiple books, including Healing Mindset, A Guide to the Mind-Body Connection for People with Autoimmune Disease, which we'll discuss today, and A Simple Guide to the Paleo Autoimmune Protocol. She's reached millions of people through her very popular website and podcast, Phoenix Helix, where she shares information and inspiration for autoimmune health. The name of her website, Phoenix Helix is a symbol of hope. The Phoenix is the mythical bird that rises from its own ashes. The helix represents the spiral of our genetics and epigenetics, those factors that influence our genes. We are more than our DNA, Eileen reminds us, and our choices can have a powerful impact on our health. I love that you include that in your bio because that symbol of the Phoenix is so beautiful and powerful and such a cool part of what you bring to this community online.
1: You know, I added that more recently, um, because a lot of people just thought I lived in Arizona. <laughs> and it was kind of, and the meaning behind the website name was kind of buried in the website, which was silly. And and when hearing you say to me what that means, it still, it emotionally resonates with me to this day. It's one of those things yeah. that when I was first diagnosed, and I was so overwhelmed, and I needed to have hope and believe you know, healing was possible, if not a cure, then at least a a way to reclaim happiness in my life again. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, That was such an important symbol for me. And I love sharing it with others now. So I was a little slow on that, but now I do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad you did. And, you know, those symbols of transformation are so powerful, I think, for us to tap into just even as like, I think you can use them almost like you would use a mantra, just that visual of, this is a transformative journey and, and we have that power to heal, you know, in the thyroid sphere, it's the butterfly because obviously, you know, the thyroid is a butterfly shaped gland. And so it just has become sort of the universal symbol, but I've always loved that. Um, you know, the imagery of the Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And the butterfly is another great example. So beautiful, wow. that transformation. Yeah.
0: Well, I want to mention too, because some of my community might be yeah, familiar with you or have become familiar with you because of your AIP uh, recipe roundtables that you host every um, couple weeks. Eileen posts this um it's like a place for all AIP recipe bloggers to come and post their recipes. And so it's just a wonderful way to A, get new AIP recipes and B, connect with and find new uh, recipe bloggers and resources from people who specialize in the autoimmune protocol. And uh, I've been contributing recipes to that for a little while now. And it's just, it's so fun. I love seeing what other people are putting on there. It's inspiring to me. It's inspiring to me, not just as a chef, but as a patient as well. So um, just another awesome part of what Eileen does at Phoenix Helix. So you definitely want to check that out if you are ever looking for AIP recipes which are also paleo recipes which are also gluten and dairy free. So we use different dietary templates, we have personalized dietary needs, but AIP recipes are nice that way because they kind of work for pretty much everyone unless, you know, you're talking about like very specific food sensitivities, but just a great resource. So uh want to share that with the listeners and also thank you for that awesome resource, Eileen. You've been doing that for a long time now. I know it's
1: kind of crazy. When I first started it, so I had it's we're up to, I think it's the 404th roundtable. <laughs> so it has oh, been wow. a long time. Yeah. And when I first started, it was because it was so hard to find AIP recipes because there weren't a lot of bloggers dedicated to the AIP yet.
0: Uh-huh. And so
1: originally it was just teaching paleo bloggers about the AIP so that they could link up when they occasionally had an AIP recipe, which wasn't that often. Uh-huh. And then the community just grew and exploded over time. And then it was really a fun way to introduce new people, you know, welcome them into the community, introduce them to my followers. Um, and I just remember when I first started a healing diet myself, it was kind of hard to find recipes and those types of resources were were really helpful. And I, I did love finding new people. It felt like you were finding your tribe and um, people who understood you and resonated with you. And so I'm really excited. You're part of it now, too.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, it's been super fun. Well, I am currently reading and loving your new book, uh, Healing Mindset. Before we dig into that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your personal healing journey, and maybe just like the creation of Phoenix Helix?
1: Sure, sure. So I've had rheumatoid arthritis for 10 years now, and it was a rapid and severe onset. So that's kind of a medical terminology for saying it turns your life upside down (laughs) in not a pleasant way. Um, I went from someone who was a massage therapist for my career. So that was pretty physical. I live in the mountains of North Carolina. and My husband and I love to hike and kayak and do things like that. So I had a very physically active life. And within a few months, I was disabled. So I was limping, crossing my living room. I couldn't, um, you know, I didn't have the strength in my hands to wash dishes. I was in excruciating pain. I'd wake up every morning feeling like I was 90. I was 43 at the time. And it just hurt to move. And if you watched me, I would have that kind of stiff movement. And that was actually the best part of my day. That was just the baseline level of information. And then every evening, like clockwork, sometime after dinner, um, there'd be one joint that would flare at a very extreme, make you gasp um, pain level. And it, uh, and I would have to um, respond by like if it was my shoulder, I actually had to put it in a sling, or if it was my wrist, it went into a brace, or if it was my knee or my foot, I had to actually get off my feet for the night because I couldn't walk. And the worst one for me is if it hit my jaw, I couldn't open my mouth. And there's something primal about that because you can't eat, and while well, you can talk and breathe, it almost feels like you can't. So it was really terrifying, overwhelming time. And I didn't know how I would survive it. So Um, I know that's kind of a dramatic onset and I know people with various autoimmune diseases, you know, no matter what the diagnosis, some people it's like that, some people it's kind of a slow, confusing, why is my body very slowly changing till it gets to the point where it's overwhelming. Um, but no matter what, it's suddenly you, your body is not the body you recognize. The life you have is not the life you can suddenly live. And then we're all facing the same thing. Like, what do we do now? So it opened me up to all sorts of things. So it wasn't that I was unhealthy before. I mean, I did cook some home-cooked meals and um but I didn't deny myself really anything. It was not any kind of special diet. So I had gluten, dairy and sugar every day and um nightshades and all the things that I after rheumatoid arthritis um increased flare activity. So when I started experimenting with diets, I was able to identify that um the AIP was extremely helpful for me and really helped after months of increasing inflammation really helped to start deescalating that inflammation. So when we talked about um, diet being powerful and foundational, it it truly is. But I will also say from that start, mindset was really important because I was so scared and I was so sad. I cried every day. Um, My husband would kiss my tears away, you know, he was, Mm -hmm. and that's hard for people who love you to watch. And there's just so little that they can do. And um, I remember every night after flaring, I would usually end up in my lazy girl chair, kicked back, just trying to stay calm when the pain was escalating in my body. And that is when I started meditating. And before that meditation just seemed like something that sounded like a good idea, but every time I tried it, it didn't resonate with me. And um, I think partly I didn't understand what it was and I wasn't exploring all the different ways you could do it, but also partly as I wasn't suffering. And I think suffering opens us up to things that we wouldn't consider when we're feeling well. So, um, maybe I didn't need a healing mindset when I wasn't sick, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, um, so the meditation, I did guided meditations. It was a CD with Jack Cornfield called, um, a lamp in the darkness guided meditations for difficult times. And there was so much compassion in those meditations. And, and, um, It was, you know, self-acceptance instead of resistance and self-love and calm and soothing and replacing all of the escalating spiraling thoughts in my head with more positive ones. And I think a guided meditation when you're first starting out, especially is, is so helpful. And especially then (laughs) Mm -hmm. when your thoughts are just not very helpful at all. And so it's like a recorded healing mindset before you've had a chance to develop one yourself. So that's kind of my start in a nutshell. And that was 10 years ago.
0: Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Oh my gosh. I just totally got goosebumps at so many moments in that story. And I think it so perfectly illustrates so many aspects of the healing journey, how it pushes us to discover um, new survival tools and coping tools it pushes us to become healthier in many ways and to take better care of ourselves and also the self acceptance piece so just so many you know aspects of that that you know I know I can relate to and I'm sure so many of the listeners I'm curious in you know hearing your story and having read your story in the book too You had that rapid and severe onset was just out of curiosity. If you don't mind me asking, was there like a triggering event that you can think of? Or was it just out of nowhere, you got sideswiped by this curveball?
1: So I think it's funny when I think about this, I think it's kind of both. And so I'm not, I have friends, for example, who had a traumatic event happen before. And it was, so it was just very clear, like a friend of mine's husband was diagnosed with cancer she developed Hashimoto's within the time period she was caring for him. He's well, thankfully, and she's well, but it, it, she was not sick before then. So I know that happens for people that did not happen for me. Like I really was living like a happy life. (laughs) I wasn't, um, it's not that bad things didn't happen once in a while, but, um, I would say I've experienced more trauma actually post diagnosis, both related to rheumatoid arthritis, but also in my life later Mm -hmm. than it was before. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I don't have that piece as big as some people do, but there were also i think that you like adapt to like things that aren't quite right in your body, and you go to the doctor and you're not at a point that you can be diagnosed anyway, so you just think, well, this is just you know the imperfections of life, and you and they kind of built and so I guess I did have some of that you know slow build up, but then it was just and I would never have expected that mm-hmm. so um so I'd always had um. Somewhat sensitive joints. I mean, obviously I could hike and do things, but like if I was doing high impact aerobics, my knees might end up hurting more, even when I was a teenager, you know, things like that. I had more sensitive joints, my kind of a princess and the pea when it comes to a bed, I need a soft mattress, you know, those kinds of right. things. I um, had digestive issues off and on and went to gastroenterologists and they couldn't, you know, identify anything wrong, but they didn't really look for anything major. I often wonder sometimes I never did get tested for celiac before going gluten-free looking back I kind of wish I had because I know um, it turns out I have one of the genes connected to that so it makes me wonder Ah. if there's something there Mm -hmm. Um, it's not something I'm going to test now because I would have to eat a lot of gluten and I just don't want to feel badly by doing that but um, the year leading up to it I did have intermittent severe GI pain but it was intermittent. So it's so hard to pinpoint when that happens. Right. Cause I was eating relatively the same things all the time and I would be doubled over in pain maybe once or twice a month. So something was happening leading up to that point. Um, and then that happened. So I don't know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it must've been, I mean, and especially since it happened the way it did, that must've been so scary, you know, and, I can just, I can feel that and I can relate to that. And I know I've had some issues that way, you know, where it's like, you are so on your knees, sort of, so to speak with pain that you are truly like, you are in the hurt locker and you got to dig really deep and find some tools, you know, just a quick, like mind, body, story I have personally shortly after the pandemic started, I developed frozen shoulder, which is thought to be an autoimmune condition. They're not really sure, but they think that it's likely autoimmune. Yes. So I ended up having surgery for it. It's awful. It's super painful, uh, the condition. And I ended up having surgery for it and the recovery and the rehab was going really well. I was six weeks out from surgery and I left my PT appointment and went for a walk at a local park and it had been really dry. I live in Montana. It was winter. It had been really dry. So there was no snow on the ground. So I thought I can go walk at this local park. I know I won't slip and fall. And then it started just dumping snow while I was walking and it put down like a half an inch. So everything was covered and I'm cruising along on this you know, paved path. And there was a patch of ice that I couldn't see. And it was like cartoon style. My feet went right out from under me. My whole body was in the air and I came down on my right elbow and it was my right shoulder I had surgery on. So all my weight came down on that and up through my shoulder. It was awful. I won't go into (laughs) detail, but I nearly blacked out from the pain. And when I kind of came to, there were four disc golfers and a cop standing over me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the pain was seriously worse than anything I've ever felt. It, I mean, I was in that hurt locker. And on top of the physical pain was this a blast of mental pain. What have I done? Mm-hmm. All I was going to say work. the
1: panic you must have felt. The yeah.
0: panic. I've ruined it. I've I've totally. I'm gonna to have to have another surgery. Is my shoulder ever gonna work again? All that rehab out the window. I mean, I was really unable to even think or reason or come up with what to do next. And I remember having to tell my husband, like, I just need you to take over because I was so blinded with pain and panic and fear. Mm-hmm. So as they he, go together. <laughs> yeah, they really do, yeah. So as he's bringing me pain medication and on the you know, phone with the orthopedist's office. I'm on the couch with an ice pack and I'm using some breathwork techniques that I had learned from, you know, some of the health experts I worked at, at my previous website, thyroid refresh, you know, like box breathing and I'm using affirmations, you know, and all that. And like, like uh, one is um, pain is just a sensation running through the body. It was just, So incredible to me how doing that, it was like a dial on the pain, on the physical pain where I could turn it up and down, you know, I could turn it down just by like dialing down the emotional pain and the fear and the panic. And that was a really eye-opening moment to me, you know, of just the power of those mind body techniques. And, you know, ultimately I ended up being fine. And the really crazy thing is that when similar things have happened to other frozen shoulder patients, it's really common to have that blinding pain. Like the doctor told me a story about a hunter who fell in a gopher hole and same thing came down on his frozen shoulder, passed out, walked back to his truck and put his hat on and was like, oh, my arm moves now because it like literally locks wow. up with adhesion. So I was, I ended up being fine, but that trauma really taught me a lot. So, yeah, I can totally understand how you, ha- uh, you know, this deepened your practice getting to that point and that, and that's rapid onset of just a severe pain. You know, I think the term like healing mindset can feel sort of ambiguous to some people, maybe because it's a little more abstract than like, Eating a food to help you feel better, or taking a pill for these results. In your words, how do you define healing mindset?
1: Yeah, and I will. Before I answer that too, I'll just say I totally get that it's kind of murky, and um, you know, it's not a grocery list. <laughs> so, and and so I get that people aren't quite sure what that means, and it it probably means different things to different people. So I'd be curious to see what your definition may be, but mine is that. It's just understanding that um, I would call healing mindset, harnessing the anti-inflammatory power of the mind body connection, which you just described an example of, which can be really powerful. And there are certain thoughts and behaviors that can ramp up inflammation and thoughts and behaviors that can de-escalate it. And when you know that and start implementing techniques that use that to your benefit instead of, it happens anyway. Like we all know stress is one of the main triggers of autoimmune flares. We all know when we're spiraling like that, it's not, it's not a positive sensation for our mind or our body. Mm -hmm. So we all experience it in that direction. And frankly, I think we've all experienced it in the other directions, just serendipitously. If you go to a beautiful park in the nature and you're listening to the birds and the river and you feel your whole body kind of calm down in response, that's a mind-body connection too. And so um, a healing mindset is acknowledging that that's true and then um, learning tools that you can access at any time. So you don't have to be at a beautiful park to start feeling good, to do the things that you just described, you know, that box breathing being one or the affirmations being another. And the book I wrote has 96 techniques in there and and it's meant to be kind of a toolbox that people can just reach into and say, today I'm going to try this, today I'm going to try this. Find the tools you like, find a new tool to try. Um, and it, and it's, it's an empowering, I would say it's an empowered mindset. So instead of feeling like your body and your life is out of your control, there are things that are out of our control, but there are also things that are in our control. And part of that is our reactivity. And it's really beautiful and, and wonderful when you feel that, impact. And I think when I shared my story about how much it helped me and you shared your story about how much it helped you, what shifted for me with rheumatoid arthritis is these techniques went from being something I actually thought were pretty cool, um, but didn't know if I had the quote unquote discipline to do them to something that I want to do because it feels good. Oops. Did I just mute?
0: Nope. You're good. Okay. <laughs>
1: um, so, so they're not, it doesn't require discipline for me to reach for these tools anymore. It's um, they're, they're enjoyable. And isn't that a wonderful thing when you feel like there are a lot of things you maybe have to do for your health, Mm -hmm. um, that there are things that benefit your health that actually are so soothing. It it can be a treat in your day. Like that's my hope with the book is that people find things that are actually just blessings in their day, positives in their day, you know? Yeah. Especially if you're, in a place where you are flaring and there are a lot of things that are not feeling
0: positive. Hmm. Yes. I love that. And that makes me so much think of food too, where, as you were saying, you know, it doesn't require discipline. It's something I want to do. It's something I'm drawn to. It's a, it's a treat. It's, you know, I think we go through that with food too, where maybe at first it's taking so much discipline to, really shift the overall uh, approach we take to our diets to then finding ourselves craving things like blueberries or you know kale or um bone broth or things like that where it's like yes oh this is what i needed and yeah. to have those things in your toolbox is just so powerful and i love the way the book is laid out it's so thoughtfully written you know, there, you have the intro, you kind of tell your story, you set the stage with, you know, the power of mind-body techniques throughout the book. Uh, you really do a beautiful job of, um, you know, citing so many scientific studies and w- which I appreciate. And It's really a gift to anyone in the chronic illness community. I think, you know, autoimmune or not, I love the way you can go through and then pluck these chapters as you need them. And there each chapter is, as you said, you know, a different like mind body technique that people can use or a different aspect, a different angle, like uh, self-compassion or allowing yourself to grieve, things like that, befriending your body, boundaries you know, there's so many, uh, I have, I'm haven't gotten all the way through it, but I'm loving just kind of going through and that's what I've been doing. Oh, this one's really speaking to me for where I'm at on my healing journey right now. But I'm curious of the dozens of techniques in the book, you said 96, Mm -hmm. 96 different techniques, which stand out to you personally as being the most transformative for you.
1: So it's interesting because it's kind of changed over time and maybe expanded. And it might be because I have had RA for 10 years. And so in the beginning, it was very much meditude or meditude, (laughs) meditation and gratitude. (laughs) That's a funny word. That's a good word. Um, So those were the two I think I needed the most in the beginning. The meditations kind of calmed me when I was scared and sad and overwhelmed. And the gratitude reminded me that there was life outside of my pain. Um, I think a lot of people listening can relate to um it's one of the things i talk about actually later in the book where we can identify with our illness because it's so overwhelming that it feels like that's suddenly all we are which is such an awful feeling where uh everything i used to be maybe isn't easy for me so ra is my new identity and that's not helpful place to be i think all of us go go through that maybe or a lot of us do and gratitude was a very easy way. I just kept a gratitude journal by my bed. And every night I would, um, if my hand wasn't flaring, I would write down three things. And if it was flaring, I would just think them um, over the course of the day that I could be grateful for. And they could be, they were different every day. I made an effort to not just say, you know, um, my marriage, my house and food, because I think you start to just not pay attention to that when they're that vague. So it might be. Um, something kind my husband did for me that day, or um, something beautiful I saw that day, or a call with a friend who means a lot to me, or um, you know, just even sometimes in my gratitude journal, I will actually express gratitude for my body techniques and that they make me that they make me feel better. So that's nice. So those were the first two. Um, self-compassion is probably something that has become a thread throughout, a decade and it's become more and more important those practices to me there's um I don't know if anyone else kind of has this tendency I in the beginning felt mm-hmm. a lot of pressure to actually cure myself I think maybe a lot of people do <clears throat> and feeling like a failure if I couldn't and, and feeling like if I could live my life perfectly I would not flare and feeling like every flare was somehow my fault. And so I had to go through a lot of that. And the truth is I did do a lot of things that were extremely helpful that really cut back on my flares, but I have autoimmune disease. And so sometimes I am doing everything, quote unquote, right. And a flare may come anyway, whose source I can't identify. And what thing that ended up happening for me, well, I, you know, who, I don't like that. I mean, no one likes to flare, right? Um, There was a freedom that came with that actually. It was like, Oh, so I've done all of this and this is still happening. So sometimes it's going to happen anyway. So maybe I can take the pressure off a little bit and maybe I don't have to be perfect and maybe I can give myself more grace. And, um, that in itself, you know, is so healing. I think I maybe didn't know the inflammatory pressure of that perfectionism in my life. So even though I was doing all of these practices, diet, lifestyle, mindset, um, there was this thread underneath of, am I doing enough? So intensity to it um, that I try and keep an eye on now. I'm a recovering perfectionist. And I I write about perfectionism, some in the book and some techniques for overcoming it. So that's been a thing. And then EFT is emotional freedom technique is a technique I actually um, have come to really love. And I even worked one-on-one with a therapist with guided sessions. And I do that sometimes um, to take it to the next level. But um, for people who don't know what it is, you kind of tap certain um, acupressure points, um, mostly on your face and a few other places on your body while tuning into, um, it can be an emotion or a physical symptom that you're not liking (laughs) right now. And it's honoring what's happening. And it kind of, while loving yourself at the same time. So most of the time a statement might be, maybe you're flaring your say, even though I am, in a lot of pain and I'm mad about it and sad about it and feeling betrayed by it. You can name every feeling that's coming up. I completely love and accept myself. Mm -hmm. And there, that's such a, a combination. We don't think very often it's that both. And, and so instead of pretending, we don't have these emotions and just powering through or pretending we don't have the pain and just powering through it, it's pausing. It's honoring your body and your soul enough to honor the challenge you're going through, holding that in a loving space. And there's a, again, it's that it's almost like stepping out into nature. There's a release that comes to me from that. I think because my um, first impulse with challenging emotions is to quote unquote, manage them instead of feel them. (laughs) And they're hard. I mean, who wants to feel sad, scared, overwhelmed, anxious, all of that stuff, but it's there whether I make space for it or not. And so EFT seems to, um, it's, a te- it's, a, it's just a, such a simple tool that gives me the package that helps me to make space for how I feel in a way that's accepting. And it does, sometimes the feelings will dissipate and I just feel better. Sometimes the symptoms will improve, but even if it doesn't, I feel better about what I'm experiencing. Mm-hmm. And it feels, like, it feels like self-kindness in a, in a really nice way.
0: Yes. Oh, I love those examples. And it's so juicy, you know, just (laughs) there's so many topics in there. We could do like five different shows on all these things, like the perfectionism we feel. And also, I think there's some messaging can be some messaging from some in the health and wellness space that you can reverse your diagnosis, like with Hashimoto's, you can reverse your diagnosis if you just do this perfectly live this way, eat this way, never stray from this. And while that can happen for people, it's, it's pretty rare. Mm-hmm. Like the statistics are low. I think if you catch it like early enough mm-hmm. and you implement some, you know, diet and lifestyle changes and, and address root cause factors and get your treatment dialed in and all that right away even then, you know, like your likelihood of being able to maybe get off medication is higher, but it's still low. I want to say it's like 20%. So, you know, just letting ourselves off the hook a little bit, as far as I'm doing my best and my best doesn't have to be perfect. And, um, especially around food, people get really stressed out about food. If they, Divert from their, you know, whatever kind of dietary program they're using. And sometimes the stress and the perfectionism around that is worse than actually eating something that's off plan. Mm -hmm. And just, yeah, kind of breathing through that and having that self compassion. And I know, you know, that's such an overarching theme of everything you just said. And I think of the book is that self acceptance and self compassion. And I know, you know, this book came to me at such a perfect time on my healing journey, because that's something I'm realizing. Like, I think of myself as a really compassionate person, but maybe not so much towards my own shortcomings and failures and needs and challenges. And um, that's so powerful and important on our healing journey and as patients, you know, to to attempt to stop resenting our bodies, resenting our illness, resenting our health issues, you know, in doing that, I think we're kind of resenting that soft and sensitive and vulnerable part of ourselves that really beautifully said. Yeah. And maybe on a deeper level, we, we just even start to resent or blame ourselves for no longer being a quote unquote, normal, healthy person. Can you talk to us a little bit about the importance of self-compassion or self-acceptance in terms of, you know, mind-body medicine and and your healing journey? You you did a lot of that in, you know, what we just talked about, but can we zero in on that a little more?
1: Yeah. And I think um, it brings up the idea too that, you know, these are lifetime practices. So people... That perfectionism you can have with your diet, you can approach um, a healing mindset with that perfectionism. It's kind of funny. Like if you set yourself a 30 day meditation challenge and you skip a day, you might feel like a failure. But if you did 20 plus days in a month, like that's a lot of meditation. (laughs) Like instead, you know, give yourself a pat on the back for that. So um, so I do, I think a thread throughout the book is, is it's a lot of like, here's how you can start, you know, you don't have to set yourself a really high bar, like here's a small practice you can begin with. And here's how you can expand it. And if you run into this obstacle, here's something to consider relating to this obstacle. And if you are judging yourself about this, can you soften that a little bit? And I mean, one of the first chapters is self-compassion. I think the first technique chapter is gratitude. And after that is self-compassion and The reason I think those go together is um, there are times when it's very difficult to feel gratitude. So I said that that was something that was healing for me, and I'm grateful it was. But there are times in some people's lives and later in my life where I had this time, I felt like um, how I would describe it is I didn't have the building block for positive emotions. It was very scary period in my life. And, um, and that's actually what clinical depression feels like for a lot of people. And so a gratitude practice might feel like yet another way you're failing. So, because you can't Mm. feel it, you know, you can write it down and say, well, this is a really nice thing someone did for me, but why am I not feeling grateful for it? So if that starts happening to you to shift to the self-compassion chapter, because that's just a place that's, it's always there for us. And when things are hardest, I think it's the most soothing thing. And when you said you thought of yourself as a self-compassionate person, but then you realize in some ways you're not. And I think, again, we are never going to be perfectly self-compassionate. But there was a point in the book where I was trying to give examples of some of the negative thoughts that can come into your head. (laughs) And when I wrote them down, they were real. Like I was just, I was having an exhausted feeling day. And so I wrote down what my mind was saying about me for being that tired. And it was... Harsh, like when I put it in writing, and I thought, wow, it doesn't sound that harsh before I write it down. It sounds reasonable. That's what's weird about the inner critic. The inner critic can sound like they're just being logical, like these are your flaws and your failings and all the things you're doing wrong. And I'm just this, you know, reasonable person in your head pointing it out. And if you write it down, it's like, oh, no, 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 like I would never let anyone say that to anyone I loved. Like, that's I would jump to their defense. That's way too intense. And so a self-compassion practice kind of gets you to not let that voice just kind of run, um, unquestioned. And -hmm. it doesn't mean the voice never comes up. Um, it just means other voices get nurtured in addition, which I think, I think is really just vital, just vital for us all from the day we're born till the day we die. Really?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, so beautifully put. Um, Before we wrap it up, I was wondering if we could maybe shift gears for a little bit into kind of the science aspect of this, Um, because I know you love that stuff and I love that stuff too. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You, You mentioned a study of women with Hashimoto's who did a stress management program and not only did it reduce stress, depression, and anxiety, but it also lowered their autoimmune antibodies. And there was another study that showed that these techniques help lower other inflammation markers like um, CRP, C-reactive protein. Can you kind of, you know, can we nerd out a little bit and talk about some of the scientifically proven benefits behind this stuff?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I love that you pulled out the Hashimoto's one because I actually wrote it down because I wanted to remember to say it. Um, but it's, there's a whole field of science called psychoneuroimmunology. And so it's psychology, neurology, immunology, because our, our thoughts and emotions, our minds um, do have a direct impact on our nervous system. So that stress response, our brain, cognitive function, and our immune system function. And if you go to, if you're a science geek like we are, and you go to pubmed.gov, and just type in psychoneuroimmunology, there are thousands and thousands of studies. It's a really beautiful field of research that's relatively new. Like it's within the past 50 years for sure, but um, more and more now. And so it took, which is kind of nice, like you said at the beginning, that some people can think of this as woo woo. Um, and that might be one of the obstacles for people to try. They just say that's some new age, who knows what, you know, that's not practical. But there's all the science now saying, Let me show you that I'm gonna take the blood of this group of patients who have this serious illness and test it. And then I'm gonna have them do an intervention. Sometimes it's instant. Like there's one for rheumatoid arthritis where they took the blood um, and then they showed them something funny for like 30 to 45 minutes and they were laughing and then they took their blood. And inflammation markers went down just immediately from that laughter, which is fascinating. Um, With the Hashimoto study, it was longer because I think it was a six or eight week stress management program and it was more, um, which is great, like multi-layered, right? So it taught all sorts of stress management techniques, a lot of the ones that are in the book, including things like guided imagery and the breathing, deep breathing and um, cognitive reframing. So when you have an unhelpful thought, how to learn to recognize how it's unhelpful, um, how to see it a different way. And so... um, And and that led to all sorts of improvements. And that was a cool study because it was a randomized controlled trial. So that's kind of considered a gold standard in research. So they had a group of people with Hashimoto's who received this stress management training and a group who didn't. And they both received standard medical care. Um, The group who received the training just fared so much better than the group that weren't. So the, the other group was still getting physical support. They just weren't getting stress management training. So some of the other things, so one of the biggest ones is lower stress reactivity, which might be the whole foundation behind all of the other benefits, because when we have a high stress response, it can have a cascade of challenging impacts throughout our body. And if you're chronically ill, it's going to trigger some of those symptoms. So these techniques kind of give us more power over that stress response, where you notice it sooner when it gets triggered in your body. And instead of just following it and flipping out, which is fine. If you flip out sometimes, be compassionate with yourself, everybody does. But um, occasionally you can just step in and do what you did, right? When you were you were um, escalating about the pain and you incorporated those techniques and were able to de-escalate that stress reactivity. So at the same time, it reduces inflammation, it reduces pain, it improves sleep, it improves digestion. Um, it improves relationships because the calmer we are, the less likely we are also to lash out at those we love. Um, Interestingly enough, self-compassion, which some people fear might lead people to be selfish or entitled or um, uncaring of others, they find the opposite is true. So the more compassionate we are with ourselves, the more grace we're willing to give to others. Same with the gratitude practice, that if you do think of people you love within your gratitude practice, it changes the way you feel to them because you stop taking them for granted at quite that level. And if you, if you express that to someone, it's so beautiful because most of us, um, the impulse, it's that negativity bias of the brain. We notice what's wrong more than we notice what's right. And there's, that could be its own conversation because that's true with our health, but it's also true with the world at large and in relationships. So we might be more likely to point out where someone is disappointing us than we are to point out where they are very loving and supportive of us. And it doesn't mean you don't still talk about what's important and work on issues that need to be resolved. But if you can also um, notice what's going well and appreciate that, that improves relationships. Um, I mentioned fatigue is something that comes and goes for me. And I I think for a lot of people with autoimmune disease and I know Hashimoto's in particular, but um, mind-body techniques can reduce fatigue and increase energy. Um, and just a sense of agency, I think, which when you have autoimmune disease, you feel like so much is out of your control. These tools that give you a sense of control, like, I think that can't be underestimated how Mm. wonderful that that can feel.
0: Yes. And and empowering. Yeah, Mm.
1: absolutely. Yeah. So I should say to people too, just so they know. So there's, there's actually 140 scientific references in the book which is when people hear that, they're like, I don't want to read a textbook. It's not a textbook. Mm -hmm. It's very much written like a conversation between friends with techniques you can apply right away. But because like you, Jenny, I like science and I know some of the readers would too. I just have a lot of little um, footnote numbers in various places. I just wanted to back up anything that I was saying in terms of benefits. And then you can go to the end notes. If you're someone who um, wants to read the whole study, you can, you can just have a lot of fun for a long time, looking at all of those.
0: <laughs> yes. Thank you for clarifying that. So, yeah, I mean, obviously so much and a growing body of scientific research behind this. So why in your mind do so many of us, uh, including some health professionals, neglect or dismiss or just underprioritize this aspect of our healing?
1: Well, with health professionals, it's interesting because they can also deemphasize just anything that would empower a patient to feel like they had some agency in their health, which is so sad. And um, I don't know if it's medical school training. It's that top down type of care that this is what I can offer and there's nothing you can do. That's so ridiculous. And let me say, I'm not against medical care. So I do take medication for rheumatoid arthritis and I'm extremely grateful for it. I did try to go medication free. Speaking of your, you're saying some people try to do the same with Hashimoto's. If you have very mild RA, that might be possible. But for someone with RA as severe as mine, it just wasn't healthy for me to be medication free. There was damage happening to my body. And so it's a blended thing. I do diet, lifestyle, medication, mindset are kind of my four pillars of health. And why doctors wouldn't like just say, this is beautiful. This is a beautiful blend and you don't have to do it all at once, but where would you like to take charge of your health in some capacity? And and here's a resource I could give you that would just be so nice. Um, But for mindset specifically, um, I start the book talking about three common myths about the mind-body connection. So they might be what gets in people's way. And one that might resonate with people a lot who are listening to this, if any of you have been told it was all in your head and your physical symptoms were dismissed and you were given a prescription for an antidepressant when you had Hashimoto's and um, told by your friends, family, or medical professionals that you were crazy, um, that's such a horrible thing to happen to somebody. And it happens too often in the autoimmune community, that type of medical gaslighting. And I think it can make people very defensive about the mind-body connection because they've worked so hard to prove there was something physically wrong and get the help they needed for that physical issue that they might feel that if they admit there is a mind-body peace, they're somehow saying there's not physical peace. And that's the second myth, mm-hmm. is, that is, is that if someone is thinking the mind-body connection doesn't exist. That's also a myth. It's again. It's as we've been talking. It's both and. So your physical autoimmune disease is real. Your physical chronic illness is real. Physical medical support is helpful. Um, diet, which is very physical, is is helpful. But you can also use the mind as medicine. Mm. And I think that's really one way to think about that. And then the last myth, and, and I think you mentioned it, and so did I, is the people online who say you can cure yourself with your mind. And so they make people feel like a failure if they can't. And so people can get really defensive because there are people in the mindset community who kind of spread that myth. And I think it's a toxic one actually, because it's making you responsible for your illness, not in an empowering way, but just in kind of, it's your fault. Like I have had people tell me that if I just released, released whatever spiritual blocks are holding me back, I would be cured. And it's not helpful. It's not helpful. No one can think perfectly all the time. As long as you're living on this planet, we will have spiritual lessons to learn and that's part of life and that's beautiful, but it's not like you, like, I can just go, I'm going to get enlightened today and then my RA is going to disappear. I actually don't think that would happen. (laughs) I think part of enlightenment (laughs) is, um, learning to live with whatever challenges this life has given us. Um, So those might be some of the reasons a lot of people may skirt around this idea, but, um, what I'm hoping to do with the book and with this conversation and what you do for your community, which is so helpful is just, it's just, it's just a tool. It's just, and it's a series of tools. It's just one piece of a healing puzzle that you can access at any time. It's free. Um, there are lots of ways to do it. So it's not like you can do it wrong. Um, And you can just explore and, and there's so much that's not, that's not true for like medical care can be really expensive. There's a lot of variety in terms of what people have access to food, same way. Um, I know I have access to really high quality food and there are people who live in food deserts. So, um, with these techniques, you don't, you don't have to buy anything to do them. Mm, Love that. And speaking of which, do you want to end, should we end telling people about one of those techniques? Should we pick one from the book that they can? Sure.
0: Yes. That would be amazing.
1: Um, So there are 96 and anytime I do an interview, I'm trying to pick a different one so that they don't get repeated. (laughs) (laughs) And so the one I would like to share today, and it's one um, that some of you listening may have done. And if you haven't, it can be really powerful. And that's to write a letter to your body. Mm. So the goal of that is to not censor yourself. Speaking of like when I said earlier, when I do AFT, A- I let myself feel everything I feel and wrap that up in self-love. So the, um, this is part of the befriending your body chapter. So this letter is the same way. And you start out by not censoring yourself and saying all of the things you think and feel frankly, that are negative, you know, if you feel betrayed by your body, go ahead and write that down. If you feel devastated and um, in, in pain, and you're mad, and you're um, scared, and all of those feelings, just write that down. And you can talk about when it started and the obstacles that you feel your body puts in your way of your goals and the things you want to achieve and what you wish your life would be like if your body wasn't this way. So you can just let all of that out. And then once you've let all of that out, the next piece is to try and find some gratitude for your body. And I think that's really healing to realize how much is going right. So I have rheumatoid arthritis, it attacks my joints. There are over 100 autoimmune diseases that, um, and I, I don't have all of them. And even if you have multiple autoimmune diseases, I have friends who have three or four, there's 96 they don't have, you know? So there's many places in the body where that attack is not happening. So an example, I get my thyroid chest tested regularly. My thyroid functions well. I can, I'm so grateful for that. I know the havoc it can play with the body when it doesn't, right? Um, there are actually trillions of cells in the body and they're in every single cell, every single second. There are trillions of processes happening that allow me to talk to you, that allow me to hear what you're saying, that allow me to hold my body up, um, that allow me to do everything, breathe. My heart beats without my trying to control it. My liver is detoxifying without my telling it what to do. Um, my kidneys are doing the same. So with digestion, even if you have digestive issues, if you aren't on a feeding tube, your digestion is still allowing you to absorb nutrition, even if it's perfectly. So, so write that I'll I'll try and, try and just write down as many as you can, um, but you can start with 10. 10 things your body does right. And then I think it's really interesting to talk to yourself and look back about your history with your body and two ways you can do it is thank yourself for everything you're doing to support your body. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably are doing a lot of health approaches and give yourself kudos and credits for everything you do. Right. It doesn't have to be perfect, but all of the food that you choose, that's healthy, um, Anytime you prioritize rest, anytime you do a mind-body technique, um, spend time with friends, bring joy into your life, all of the things you do that support your health. If you go to the doctor when you need to go to the doctor, if you have alternative healing techniques that you use, really thank yourself for all of the support you give your body. And then the other piece of that is, have there been times when you didn't do that? Because I know for me, before rheumatoid arthritis, I took my body for granted a lot. I could push it pretty hard. Mm -hmm. Um, I added to its burdens at times when I, um, when that wasn't super helpful, when I was young in my twenties, I drank to excess. That was a lot for my body to process. Um, so to just really be able to see how my body carried me through in spite of what I wasn't doing, that was unhelpful. And it's kind of that reverse. It's seeing that, 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 we haven't always supported our bodies either. And then forgive yourself for that. So I'm not saying that to bring up any shame or blame. It's that's part of the human thing. No one's perfect. And we tend to not prioritize our health until there's a health problem. So most human beings walking around add burdens to their body, not consciously or intentionally. They're just feeling like their bodies. I always say we treat our bodies like a car that's supposed to last a lifetime, work perfectly, and never need any repairs. <laughs> it's kind of a strange way of looking at it. So write about that and, um, and, then, and then wrap up with your body writing you back. So it's, this is a long one, but when you have time, I think it can be absolutely beautiful and powerful and it really encapsulates a lot of the other techniques in the book too. The
0: yes. Oh my gosh. I want to go do that right now. <laughs> good. <laughs> good, good, good. Oh, I mean, thank you so much for this amazing interview, all the golden nuggets of wisdom and knowledge that you shared with us, and especially for this book, such a gift to this community, Healing Mindset, a guide to the mind body connection for people with autoimmune disease by Eileen Laird, where should people go to find you, find the book?
1: Sure. So my website is phoenixhelix.com. That's P-H-O-E-N-I-X-H-E-L-I-X, because Phoenix is a hard word to spell. Um, And you can find the book right there on my homepage and my other books under the books menu. You can um, also find it on amazon.com, both in the United States and around the world. So it's available as paperback and Kindle through Amazon but also available on my website as a PDF if you want to download it instantly and you don't live in a country where Kindle's is available. And the PDF version's, you know, more colorful because you can do that. So that's the third way it's available. But, um, but yeah, I would love it if people got the book. I would also love it if they just connected with me through Phoenix Helix. And you can find my podcast, the same name, wherever you find your podcasts. And um, yeah, this was so nice. It was so lovely getting to talk to you and know you better.
0: Yes, I agree wholeheartedly. Thank you again, Eileen. I really appreciate it. And I know our listeners do too. And to all our listeners, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Thyroid Healthy Bites. If you've enjoyed the show, please don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. I'm Ginny Mahar, wishing you the best of health. See you next time.